If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Michelle Ward. As a mom, I've looked my children in the eyes with love and hoped I can lead them toward a bright, wonderful future. But as a neurocriminologist who's been studying violent crime for the last 20 years, I've also quietly hoped that at the very least, I'm not raising a future serial killer. And if you can relate to that taboo thought, congratulations, you've just found your new favorite podcast. This is How Not to Raise a Serial Killer. Today, my guest is one of my besties. Her name is Claire, and she's the mom of three, and we've been friends forever. She also likes true crime, at least she tells me she does, so I have a job, and she's just the perfect person to join me today because she has three of them and a set of twins, which is a whole different program to unwrap because you basically have two kids who share 50% of the same genes, but they're not identical, born at the same time. So you get to see actual differences coming up through the genes because their environment's exactly the same. Yes. Safe space. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever wondered if one of your babies might become a serial killer? No, 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 no. I have no. not. And I have to say to the listeners, I haven't worried about her kids either. But they do all come out so differently, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I always thought, oh, blank slates, great. You know, I'm going to form it. My baby's going to be this way. But I mean, especially having two at the same time. Yes. And they had very different temperaments when they were little. They did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. Overall, pretty chill. They're chill. All three of them. They're chill. Do you have any idea which murderer we're talking about today? I do not. I'm very excited to hear about this. I've been obsessed with true crime since I was like nine. Nice. Oh, yeah. That's right. You don't do it just to make me feel better. You guys had... um, 
You and your friends did something fun where you'd have a murder weekend and you guys would binge on true crime and go to Palm Springs or something super fun. Oh, yeah, fun. we did. We did. We did. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I never got invited to that. But I, really <laughs> I feel like I need to go to that one next year. Yeah, we had assignments where it was like, watch this series and then we would talk about it all weekend. Oh. Yeah. Okay, well, next time bring the podcast. I will. Be like, I did that. <laughs> Um, okay, so we're going to be talking about a very violent murderer, and his name is Matthew Cushing. Have you? Does that sound familiar at Not all at to all. you? Oh, you're about to learn way too much about him. Okay. You may have heard about him just because I did actually go to Maine and interview him in prison. And so when I tell you the story, it might sound familiar, but there's really very, very little about him on the internet, which is surprising because it's a crazy, crazy story. And I interviewed him for the show Mind of a Murderer for ID. Um, It's an interesting one to watch. Even now I like watching that episode because he's this baby-faced young guy. He looks like a frat boy. And you're just like, you did what? What? And you know you're supposed to be on guard, but it's hard to be. It's hard to to be vigilant when somebody looks like, I mean, he's honestly about to pin. What age is he? Well, at the time of the killings, he was 21. But before I get carried away, um, let's examine. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the murder and what led him to being prison for life without a family. All we know from it is basically what Matthew can tell us because everyone who may have witnessed the crime is dead. So I'm going to detail for you what Matthew told me um, about his crimes. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about him. Okay. So it was February 2008, and Matthew is a college junior— And he woke up that morning with an irrepressible urge to kill his stepfather, Christopher Bolduc. I I do want to say here that this is a man he loved very much. He never had the urge before? Well, we'll get to that. Okay. According to Matthew, he suspected that Chris, his stepdad, was going to leave his mom, which in doing that, he would leave his half-brother, Josh, and himself. And he just didn't want to let him do that. So he saw no other solution than to get up and kill him. So he gets out of bed. He gets in his car. And he drives to—it's, what is it, Old Orchard? It's the cutest place. Old Orchard Beach, Maine, from his apartment at the University of Maine. He arrives in the early afternoon. And when he gets there, his brother Josh opens the door. So he tells Josh— Dad's going to leave Mom. And he's like, whatever. I don't know that he's going to leave Mom. He's like, no, he's going to leave Mom— our parents are going to get divorced, and um, I'm going to kill him. And he's like, He told what? his brother. Yeah, he told his little brother, who he's really close to, I'm going to kill Dad. And he's like, you're not going to kill Dad. And he said, yes. He was upset. He was emotional. And he said Josh needed to be on board with the killing. Well, obvi. obviously, Josh refused. And before Matthew knew it, he was attacking Josh and stabbing him, his little brother, who he oh loved, my God. in a blind rage. Then realizing what he'd done, he takes a towel and he puts it over his face because he said he didn't want to remember him that way. Sitting beside his body, he said he didn't know how it happened and that he felt empty inside. I asked him that. I'm like, how'd you feel? He's like, nothing. So Carol, the mom, she thought she saw Matthew's car downtown. And he's supposed to be in college, supposed to be on campus. So she calls first her husband was like, have you heard anything from Matthew? Is he supposed to be in town? He's like, no, I didn't know anything. So then she dry- leaves work and goes to the house. She's heading home. She has no idea what she's about to walk into. It's a trap. So Matthew sees his mom and has the impression that she instantly knew something was wrong, even though Josh was in another room, the body. Josh's body's in another room. 
So Matthew grabbed her, sat on top of her with his hands around her throat, and then he ends up stabbing his mother in the throat. Oh, my God. At that point, he didn't know if she was alive or not. But then he tells me he soon noticed her face was the wrong color. So killing his mother seemed to make logical sense to Matthew because he said he couldn't have her knowing that he had just killed her brother. And he really felt like he just couldn't have her suffer with the fact that her kid is dead and her other child killed him. I'm like, okay. I was really having a hard time (laughs) with this. Yeah. So it seems he stopped thinking about them as living beings and started thinking of them as less than human. So he started, he tells me, he starts thinking that it's really his stepdad who's responsible for the murders he just committed, which, of course, is convenient for him because Mm -hmm. he came there to kill his stepdad and he had to kill them instead. Is his stepdad home? Not yet. Okay. His stepdad, Chris, had become concerned enough to come home when Carol stopped answering her phone. So Chris, the stepdad, walks in. Matthew lunges at him with a knife, and he started screaming. The stepdad started screaming. And Matthew says, at that point, if I didn't kill him, I was scared he was going to kill me. So he used a stun gun on him that he had bought weeks earlier, which really signifies premeditation. Yeah. He said he woke up with the urge. Bingo. So we're going to get to that. He uses that to overpower his stepfather. And then to, then he does end up killing him. He stuns him and stabs him and he kills him. And then to add insult to injury, he kills his dog. He kills the family dog that he loved. For no reason. I mean, I don't know. It drives me nuts. <laughs> According to Matthew, he had decided he wanted to, um, he didn't want people to see the bodies of his family this way, so he had to burn down the house. Firefighters were the first on the scene. They discovered the bodies. And when asked if, so I asked him, I'm like, really? You did that so other people wouldn't suffer? Or could you have possibly been doing that to cover your ass and remove evidence? Mm -hmm. He's like, no, 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 no. My hands were so damaged and bloodied from the the fighting Mm -hmm. to kill them that I I knew I was nailed. So he drives back to his campus, back to his apartment after he starts the fire. And then, obviously, he's the only family member who's not in the house with all the dead people. So investigators suspect him right away. And they come to the door. Police officer knocks on the door. He's standing in his pajamas. And the officer says, why are your hands bloody? He's in his pajamas? He's in his pajamas. So he goes home and goes to bed. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. He goes home and goes to, like, he's at his house. It's late. By this Mm -hmm. time, I I think it's it's later. He's definitely, I read definitely, or he told me he was in his pajamas, or I read, no, I heard from an investigator that he was in his pajamas. Or maybe it was sweats. Mm -hmm. He got comfy, let's Mm -hmm. just say. (laughs) He went home. He's like, well, that's done. And um, he tells the officer that he cut his hands cooking, which clearly is not what happened. When the officer was questioning him, he said he thought about killing him right then and there. And he's, I don't know if I say this. He thought about killing the The officer? officer. Oh, my gosh. He said, I I just killed everybody I loved. Why do I don't care about this guy. I don't care if he has a family. I don't care anything about him. And I thought about killing him. But then I'm like, A, I don't know if I can. He said to me, I don't know if I'll be able to do it. And B, what next? Oh, I'm Mm -hmm. obviously the person. Yeah, no, I think you were asking him, like, what if you he was nervous, basically, yeah. like, that he was being questioned, and he's basically just like, I just wanted to kill him. Yeah, yeah, I think I didn't even ask yeah. him if he wanted to kill him. Yeah. He's like, by the way, I really wanted to kill that guy. Yeah. And I'm like... That that was what was going through his head, when normally you'd be like, oh, no, I'm 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 cornered, I'm being yeah. questioned. Yeah, so this isn't, yeah. this isn't because the stepdad was going to do something, this is just he has these urges. Yes, like she knows but you don't even know (laughs) um yeah exactly and 
that's kind of the crux of it. So, mm-hmm. he, and he offered that up to me. Um, and I, at one point I said, does it ever occur to you that their lives, well, your life is not more important than everyone else's? And he's like, yeah, no, not so much. Um, so they search the apartment. They find a bloody knife and a stun gun in a bloody backpack. Does he live alone? No, he lives with 10 people. Oh, my gosh. Or he's <laughs> oh one God. of 10. I know. I'm picturing my own college situation. Like, yeah. Having <laughs> run like, out and, like, killed my family and come back. Come back and like, hi, Emily. Like, you're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I could say Emily because you have so many names, friends named Emily that one of them must have lived with you. <laughs> um, Matthew naturally confessed to the crime. He said he felt numb and empty inside when I asked him how it felt. He pleaded guilty to three counts of murder and one count of arson and was sentenced to life in prison. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little irritated that animal cruelty wasn't thrown in there. I realize that it's not important when um, you've killed your entire fucking family, but I just feel like there's something psychologically different when you also are like, you too, you're going to Yeah, like the dog didn't do anything to you. Okay, so as I mentioned before, I— I've definitely have my own theories about this, but um, I have to tell you about my meeting with him because it's nuts. Uh, so I walk into the, like, I'm driving to this prison and I literally. Is the prison in Maine also? Yes. Okay. So okay. the night before, I had just, or I had, my kids were really little. So I, it was one of those times where I couldn't, like, get there the day before in prep. It was like I had to nurse and pass off a kid and then go kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. So I arrived, and from where I was living, Maine was already three hours ahead. I took the last flight out. So I arrived really late, and I have to drive all the way to the prison, which is not near a town. Prisons rarely are, right. unless you're at the beautiful prison in Marin County, um, <laughs> which I'm like, why does San Quentin have the best real estate in all of California? Um <laughs> If you're going to go to prison, that's the one you want, kids. So I I arrived super late. It was this really scary drive. There was snow on the ground. It was 2 in the morning. Um, and I knew this interview was going to be tougher because typically I go in with a head start. I've done a bunch of research. I come up with my own wackadoodle theories as a neurocriminologist. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong. I recognize it when I'm wrong. Um, but usually I have an idea. I'm like, oh, this is an impulsive killer. Or it's a psychopathic <laughs> killer. Or it's whatever type of killer. Um, but I was like, I have no idea what happened, and no one else does either. Mm-hmm. Like n- everyone I read about was like, they're coming up with all these crazy theories, but nothing seemed to really hold water. Nothing made sense to me as somebody who's supposed to understand something about it. Like I was like, I don't, I don't think, I don't know. Should we even interview this guy? Because I really have no clue. Um, so he had never granted an interview before, and I there's only been speculation about his motive. So I feel this pressure. So we wake up. We've had no sleep. Uh, so it's Andrea, who's my producer, Jared, who's our camera and sound guy, and then we have another field producer. But only Jared and Andrea can go into the prison with me because that's the limit. So we're at the prison, and we're being escorted um, through, but Jared gets stuck at clearance because he has to get all the cameras, all the sound gear, the booms, everything through the metal detector, and something's not working. So they suggest the guard takes Andrea and I by ourselves. We grab the gear we can. And we start walking walking through the prison, which is weird in and of itself because there's just prisoners cruising around with you. And wow, yeah, and you get used to that. You do well. <laughs> I think eventually you would. I don't know if I, I did. Guess you kind of <laughs> have to to sort of. Oh, I think I have to be like serious and Doctor Ward face, but right. really, I'm just like. <laughs> um, and it's not. I mean, you hear about it. People, prisoners do take hostages. It has happened. Yeah. It's not even uncommon. Yeah. In fact, the Dannemora prison. 
in New York, I interviewed somebody two weeks before there was that major escape. But just before I interviewed there, they had held a reporter, a prisoner held a reporter by the, or as a hostage for hours using a pen against her neck, the pen Mm -hmm. she asked him to sign his release with. Mm -hmm. I know, things I wish I'd known before I went into prisons. Um, (laughs) I'm always like, here's your pen. So anyway, we're walking, we're being escorted, and the guard recognizes that Jared is now caught up with us. When you walk through prison corridors, as you've seen on TV, like this door behind you closes. Yeah. You have to get to the next door, then it opens, and then it closes behind you, and that next door doesn't open until you get there for the reasons we could all imagine. So he goes, go through this door, interview room is down the corridor there. The corridor only goes to the left. And he goes back and gets Jared. The doors open, they shut behind us, and there's a guy in plain clothes, and he's like, oh, let me help you. So he, Andrea gives him the camera. Andrea and I start walking toward the door, and I'm like, is it him? I, it just, <gasps> I had seen a picture of him. The hair on the back of my neck raises. I'm like, oh. he's now standing behind So he's us. in plain clothes? Plain clothes. Oh, for clothes. the interview, but not normally? But I've never interviewed somebody in plain clothes. Right. So I'm like, oh, my God, he's standing behind us with a weapon. He has a giant camera now. Mm-hmm. So I turn around and I'm like, Matthew Cushing, Michelle Ward. And I stick out my hand, shake his hand. With my other hand, I grab the camera. And Andrea, like slowly, and she's teeny tiny. She slowly turns around and she's like, oh. I'm like, Matthew, would you guide us to the interview room? And I made him walk in front of us. It was so scary. But, I mean, he also looked like, you know, a college kid. But I know what he did. Yeah. So it it was pretty scary. Anyway, where were we? I mean, I don't know if he would have heard us. He's, you know, I don't think he would have heard us. But when we continue talking to him, it, it's possible. So, like, if he wanted to kill the cop, right? Who knows if he's sitting there going, "I want to kill her," right? Right, yeah. or use us as a way to get out. He's in there for life. Mm-hmm. You know. By the way, in Texas, if they take a hostage, they make you sign something before you go interview. They that they will shoot you. As the hostage? Because they will not let. No prisoner will get out of prison with a hostage, even if it means they kill the hostage. And they did that because there was a huge prison break at Huntsville that made them change that regulation. So I'm like, okay, I'm giving you permission to shoot me. So the first thing, so we set up in the interview, we did a lot of what Courtney just did right now. And the first thing I'm like, hey, Matthew, why the hell are you wearing normal clothing? Mm-hmm. And he's like, um, well, I always wear jeans. We're allowed to wear jeans. And this is my visitation shirt, which was just a normal shirt. Prisons don't do that because you have to be able to tell the difference between a visitor and a guard and a prisoner. What's his personality? Is he, like, smiling? Is he? Not at first. He does smile. He's kind of blunted, like a blunted affect. He's mm-hmm. nervous. And they get nervous anyway because of the cameras. And yeah. You know, they don't have a ton of interaction with people from the outside other than their visitors. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's kind of quiet. But, you know, what's weird is his hands, his eyes and his hands were a little troubling. Like, he kind of kept making fists with his hands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm sitting closer to him than I'm sitting to you right now. So it's a little, you know, unnerving. And, the you know, the guard doesn't stay with us. But I have Jared, the really? cameraman. And, yeah, no. they Sometimes they'll stay in the room, but usually they leave. Um so anyway, he, he, I ask him, I'm like, why are you doing this interview? Like, thank you, but why are you doing this interview? What made you agree? I've, you know, you haven't done any other interviews. And he said, well, I, I met with a psychologist when I was in here, and I asked him why I did this, what's wrong with me. And he said, I have no idea. So I'm hoping you can tell me what's wrong with me. 
No pressure. Um, So, yeah, what's wrong with Matthew? I mean, where do we begin? So, of course, you have to look at his childhood, and there's Mm -hmm. nothing out there. So all I can do is listen to this murderer tell me about his life and try to come up with some sort of possible description, explanation, not only for me and, like, for people who research it and for the viewers, but for him. You know, he wants to know what happened Mm -hmm. and what went wrong. So let's talk about his childhood. He grows up in Old Orchard, Maine, with his mom, his stepfather, and his younger half-brother, Josh. Super sweet town. He's the oldest? He's the oldest by a few years. So he, his mom and his dad, biological dad, were married, but they divorced when he was super young. Mm -hmm. So he thought that his stepdad, Chris, was his bio dad. He didn't know until he was like five or six. They grew up in this really quaint small town. The family owned a couple of businesses there, and everyone knows each other. So you're walking around town. It's like, oh, hey, Chris. Hey, Matt. Like, everybody. Yeah, it sounded like it when you said the mom saw his car back downtown. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Like, till teeny towny, New England, super cute. Um. So his stepdad had a much larger influence on his life. He did see his biological dad on weekends, but his stepdad was really the dad in his life. And Wait, So if he saw him, who do you think he was? Well, I don't—I think once he got old enough, they oh, explained it. But gotcha. until he was five or six, he thought that uh, Chris Bullduck was his stepdad. I mean, was his real dad, and that was indeed his stepdad. And his real dad, he, he said he thought of him as more of a friend because he'd see him on the weekends, and he was more permissive because, you know, he was weekend dad. Um, the only complaint Matthew has about his childhood is that his stepdad is a disciplinarian, but he's like, no, he never touched me, never laid a hand on me, but he was strict. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, that must be why, you know, no, I mean, come on, we all have that, right? He says he loves his family. He's super close with them. He loves his little brother. No indication that anything was wrong. So I asked him when was the first time he ever thought about killing. And he said, you know what? Everyone thought I was such a happy child, but when I was alone, I had visions of hurting or murdering everyone. And he says it was both visions and just urges. He gives this chilling example. He talks about he was visiting his biological father when he was five or six, and he'd asked his dad to tie his shoe, and he's sweetly tying his shoe, and everything's fine. And he just had this overwhelming impulse to hit him, and he hits him hard Mm -hmm. with no reason. And as far as I know— And it was jarring. I mean, his dad was like, what the? As far as I know, this is the only moment where Matthew showed his parents the demons that were actually in his head. And because it was, I mean, kids hit. Five-year-olds and six-year-olds, they hit. But usually it's because they're frustrated or they're mad. There was nothing. He was happy. That's unusual. But they probably thought it was a one-off and didn't think to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. In hindsight, we now know that, like, if your kid's, like, super happy and then just hauls off and punches you in the face, that— Something's happened. Something's happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if I would have known to, like—I mean, maybe I would have— I don't know. It's an unusual thing for a happy kid just to turn around and punch you. But Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> but this was the only time he showed them. He did tell me another story, I think. I can't, I can't remember the details of this, and it did not make it into the episode, but I remember him telling me that he loved his grandfather, and one time he was sitting there next to him, and— there was a screwdriver, and he barely could stop himself from picking up the st- screwdriver and stabbing his grandfather. Whoa. What's important to note here is that this is not an aggressive, violent kid who has to contain himself. You know those kids mm-hmm. who's constantly like, keep your hands to yourself, sit down, go to the naughty chair. He's just having the thoughts. He's just having the thoughts. He's a super docile kid. It's He's a normal kid with very specific violent urges, these intrusive 
thoughts that are totally incongruent with his docile temperament. So that makes it much harder to ferret out. You know, he, here we are at this podcast, How Not to Raise a Serial Killer, and it's like, ooh, you got to be really good to find this kid's yeah, problem. Yeah, he's not telling anyone. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And his behavior's normal, except for that one time he just tapped a clam, hauled off and punched his dad. He had these violent intrusive thoughts from a very young age, and that is bad. That's a bad sign. Early is bad. Okay. The earlier something begins... The, the worse the pathology probably is. Mm-hmm. But here we go again. It's complicated because some levels of aggression are totally normative in children, right? You know, their prefrontal mm-hmm. cortexes aren't developed yet, so they can't totally control their anger, their urges. But this was different. And um, as he got older, they just intensified, and he came, became better at hiding it. He thought about, he told me, he thought about tying up his classmates in the entire school and then setting the whole building on fire. These are the things he thought about daily. He tells me that every single person he has ever known, it has crossed his mind at some point or another to hurt or kill them. He says it pops into his head with no provocation whatsoever. So did he say if he's like, if he's just having these thoughts or was it really, really... um, difficult to suppress is he just like seeing it happen or is he like fighting i think it's both i think he has the visions and they just pop up but i think when he has the urges he Mm -hmm. has to work really hard to suppress them Mm -hmm. and we'll talk about that a little bit later because i think i think that the kind of the the fighting the compulsion to do it Mm -hmm. is where maybe we have a clue into this mystery but for now, he just tells me it's daily. He's like, and he thought it was daily? normal. Yeah. Holy he shit. thought everybody thought like this. And he realized that people didn't at some point. But he was born that way. Every single person, like everyone, his mom, his dad, his every, hundreds of people you know in a lifetime. Every single one of them at one point or another, including the girlfriend sleeping next to him, he has thought of killing. He never sought help for the urges. He was too afraid because once he realized they weren't normal, he was afraid he'd lose his family or be sent away. Some funky foreshadowing there. Lose his family or be so, and there's a stigma to it. He just doesn't <laughs> want to be like, I love you, but also I want to chop your head off. Like, how do yeah. you do that? Yeah, how do you do that? Yeah, I wouldn't know. I mean, I don't know anybody who would know. You would, you would know. Do I though? Go. You <laughs> would at least, you wouldn't like, if somebody told you that, you would be like, okay, well, let's have a conversation. Right. About it. I would be like, we need to yeah. bring in all the professionals. We need to put right. you in a scanner. We need to do something. Right. Where I think most people would be like, and now we get you committed and right. call a truck to take you away. Away or whatever. in a straitjacket. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I would definitely be like, okay, let's start with, you know, a pediatric psychiatrist and then a pediatric neurologist. And, like, we'd get get everyone going and do all the examinations. But I don't know, like, as a mom, I'm not sure what I would do. I mean, here's the thing for moms and dads, too. If your child tells you, I'm thinking of killing absolutely everybody, you are like, do I tell someone that? Because what if they yeah, take my kid away? Yeah, that's scary. Mm-hmm. It's scary. Mm-hmm. But you kind of have to maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah, because I, I think I would be scared to be around a child who's thinking that. Yeah. Or have your other children around that child. Yeah, for sure. I've heard those stories about people, like, you know, seeing their kid standing by the side of the bed, just, like, staring at them, yeah. holding something that could be a weapon. You're like, just, yeah. Honey? You know? You it's okay? terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, you can have a pose. It's almost more terrifying than an adult in ways because you're, like, an adult, you would just be, like, 911 or, You're like, right. you know. yeah. And a kid, you're just like, are, 
are you? Yeah, yeah. What's, like, ha- what's happening? Is, oh, can you go back to bed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can we reverse the lock on this door? <laughs> totally. You're putting chairs up against their door. And like, we'll deal with this in the morning. I'm so tired. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you learn absolutely nothing from this podcast, please know that mental health is not just important, it's crucial. And BetterHelp Online Therapy is there to help you prioritize your mental health. They will assess your needs and they can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours, which is fast, people. When I first heard about BetterHelp, I was truly impressed with the brilliant idea because it makes therapy so accessible. I had moved to an online therapy format during COVID, and a lot of people had, but you had to already have an established relationship with a therapist. But this is different. You can create a relationship with a therapist online now. And therapy is an essential part of your life, whether you know it or not. I cannot live without it. I do not live without it. And seriously, getting yourself started, getting that professional help you need is not only good for you, but it's a great example for the people in your life. Plus, it just makes your relationship so much better. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online, and the service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your actual therapist, which is really important. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in that uncomfortable waiting room like you do in traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. And that's important because you're not always going to get it right the first time. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is still available. BetterHelp is a great way to show up for yourself and invest in your well-being because, well, you deserve some inner peace. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash how not. That's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. As a special offer for How Not to Raise a Serial Killer listeners, BetterHelp is offering 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash how not. That's betterhelp.com forward slash how not. After high school, as I mentioned, Matthew had enrolled at University of Maine as a European history major. So he's not a dumb guy. He's like a studier, and he's funny, and he's laid back. Everybody said he was just like normal, cool college kid. He lived with a bunch of friends, and he had a girlfriend. But I wasn't picturing funny and laid back. No, right? Yeah. With, no, with homicidal all. thoughts? No. You're not picturing that? No. Do you see why this one's so confusing? Yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm an And living with 10 roommates. Like, mm-hmm. it sounds like. All the people I went to college with. So maybe they, yeah. who knows if somebody wanted to kill you? Oh. Should we start? Mm, asking? hadn't thought about that. <laughs> right. Because you will today. And like a lot of people in college, he starts partying. He's doing a lot of cocaine, drinking. And if he didn't have enough money for alcohol, he would drink cough syrup. Yeah. He said like three bottles he of did cough say syrup. That. So did this like numb the thoughts or... Damn it, I did not ask him that. <laughs> All I asked him if it is what You you asked him if they um, made it worse. Made it worse. I did. I asked him if he made it worse yeah. and he said yes. It made so it worse. It made it worse. So I guess okay. I didn't need to ask him if it numbed it because right. clearly it didn't. Okay. Um, but that would have been a good question too. Like, are you self-medicating? So but then why? 
I don't know. So do you want those thoughts to go away? If so, why keep doing something that makes it it worse? worse? You're very smart. I have no idea why he did that, and I did not ask. Um, Maybe just because it's college, and it's like desperately trying to be Mm -hmm. yeah like everybody else although i don't know that drinking three bottles of cough syrup is necessarily being like everybody else i've only heard that from an unhoused person who was an alcoholic who's like i i can't get alcohol but i can get cough syrup well and cough syrup makes you tired right yeah too usually yeah so like if he's i don't know if he had a hard time sleeping with these thoughts could be That could be. Maybe it was a numbing. Self-medicating to, yeah, in some way, but didn't realize it was making it worse or something. Yeah. Well, or probably it's worse when he's drinking or doing blow, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, cocaine, you know, it's it's, it's pretty speedy. It's just like (laughs) a loop of, yeah, kill people, kill kill people. people. (laughs) And you feel empowered, invincible. Like, I mean, they say it's a mood elevator. There's all sorts of things that happen with, you know, anytime you're taking, you know, an upper. Um, So, yeah, this all, it's all getting worse. Again, with age, it's getting worse. But with this partying, it's getting worse, too. So it could have been a combination of, like, okay, I need to go to bed, so I'm drinking all of this alcohol and this cough syrup, and now I feel better and I can sleep. And also, maybe when I'm doing cocaine, I feel like maybe I will kill somebody. So he tells me he starts having visions in his head of going room to room in his apartment and killing all of the people he lives with. The urges were getting worse and worse. I'm like, okay, um... And you know what's so sweet about this guy? And I don't like to do this, and listeners are going to get pissed when I say murder is sweet, but he really wants to tell me everything I want to know because he wants to know too. And I I respect that about him because I I truly want to. I've been thinking about this guy for years. I want to understand it because my goal here is to be like, let's prevent crime if we can. The little bit of crime we can prevent, let's do it. But... And he's not, he can't help it. Mm-hmm. He can't help that these are his urges. But I'm still looking at this guy who literally slaughtered his mother, who he adored, and his little helpless brother. It's this really difficult interview for me. Because um, usually the person I'm interviewing is like manipulative and they want something from me. They know I'm also a trial consultant or a jury consultant, so they know that I can help them with their appeals. Yeah. Usually it's a symbiotic relationship. They want something from me. They're manipulating me just like I'm manipulating them to give me the information I need to try to understand why they killed. This is different. This guy just wants help. So I'm I'm finding myself like struggling a little bit in this interview because and I'm also falling asleep in this interview because it was like four or five hours long and he just was happy to stay there all day to work it through with me. And I'd had two hours of sleep. Um, so I start running by him the theories I had read. Everyone had a theory out there of why he did this because nobody could make sense of it. He wasn't the bad kid at school who then slaughtered his family. Like I said, he's just like a nice, normal kid. So I said, okay, let's talk about these motivations that I keep reading about. One of them was that you wanted to drop out of school and travel to Europe, but your parents wouldn't let you. Is that why you killed them? Because that's what your friends told the media. He's like, no. I, I didn't buy that as a motive. And he said, it's not. My parents gave me the money, but then I blew it on drugs. And so that's not why I killed them. I wanted to go to Europe. I'm a European history major, but that's what happened. So that wasn't it. So then I'm like, well, another theory was that your stepdad was secretly gay. He was going to leave your mom to go live with another man. And he's like, look, people change. They were about to get a divorce. I'd heard that. I suppose he could be gay, but I wouldn't care if he were gay. I didn't want him to leave my mom, but I didn't care. 
that if he was gay. He said that the possibility of the divorce did upset him, but it had nothing to do with the urges that he'd already described to me had been there since he can remember. Right. But why that moment that yeah, time? Why? Yeah. He says he felt very worried about how his mom and brother would get by, how they'd survive, and he used the word distress. And I'm sitting across from him, and I'm like, this is disturbing. He's talking about this deep concern for people he's about to slaughter. These intrusive, violent thoughts that had plagued him his whole life really had just crescendoed. Like, they'd just become too much. Because remember, earlier, he had told me that he had thought about that day slaughtering everybody in his house. And at some point, he had said he'd overslept. And I'm not sure if this was in the interview or not, or in this episode or not, but he said he had thought about killing everyone in his apartment, but he had overslept. And by the time he woke up, they'd all gone, including his girlfriend. And she said at some point, I think... I think, girlfriend, if this isn't right, I'm sorry, that she was like, oh, my God, he could have killed me, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I'm think, sure it at least occurred to her. Yeah, yeah for not. sure. Yeah. yeah. Probably all of them. Yeah. Right. Well, I think they're all like, oh, yeah. thank God we had early classes. So what the fuck is wrong with Matthew? Okay, these were my first thoughts. So there's areas of your brain that are responsible for violent urges, aggressive urges, and then there's areas of your brain that are responsible for making you not act on it. So at the very basic level, the limbic system, the very kind of prehistoric parts of our brain, very deep in the brain, they are responsible for generating urges. But we are civilized and we have developed um, a cortex And we have an area right behind our forehead, above our eyes, called the prefrontal cortex. And those are our emergency brakes. It's what stops us, inhibits us from acting on these urges. So a lot of time when you have an impulsive killer, the guy who, you know, just gets in a fight and kills somebody or just kind of didn't think it through, regrets it afterward, often you'll see damage in that area of the brain or just an immature area of that, that brain, that prefrontal cortex area the area behind the brain, which is also conveniently located in the place you're more likely to get a head injury, right there. So I will talk about that a lot. I'm like, okay, you couldn't control your urges. Matthew's prefrontal cortex is controlling his urges pretty well up until now. So I'm thinking, does he have a super overactive urge center? The limbic system is his just bubbling over with more urges than the rest of us all the time. This is one possibility. So he hides these urges. He can control it. But except for this one time he hit his dad. Otherwise, no one knows what's going on inside of him. He said this would happen all the time. He'd be with a friend. He'd have the urge to attack that friend, and he couldn't get out of his head. So I asked him, was it hard to stop himself? And he said it could be overwhelming. He would just leave. So if he was with his friends at a party doing something, he would just go home. And now in his prison, when he has these feelings, and you could tell he was having them when he was sitting across. I mean, it's his, oh my his hands all balled up in a fist. Um, the whole time you're interviewing him. Well, not the whole time, like, but there were moments. <laughs> no, but the whole time are you like, is he feeling this way right now? Yeah. I think I asked him. I don't think he said he want. He didn't directly. You said in this room. In this room. Yeah. Were there, is there anybody in this room that you would you want to, to kill or hurt? And he said yes. But yeah. he didn't. You were, I think you were too smart to be like, do you want to kill, kill me? me? I have asked prisoners that, but murders that before you. But he said yes, he wanted to hurt somebody in the room. It could only be me because I'm right. the one asking the really yeah. annoying questions. But he says even now he has to go back to his bunk when he's having these urges. I don't want to be his cellmate. Um, so I talked to him about um, the 
the prefrontal cortex and how it's calming him. And so essentially, yes, he still struggles with this. He still finds ways to control it. Usually it's removing himself from the situation. But even in the room, as we were sitting, he said he did feel like hurting the people in the room, a person, the people, I don't know. So I'm like, okay, I I didn't get any information that really helped me understand why these urges are the way they are. I'm thinking it's an overactive limbic system, but why does he have an overactive limbic system? I don't have enough. So I'm like, talk to me about the day of the killings. Let's walk through it slowly. So he tells me he woke up that morning of February 20th, 2008, and he gets in his car and he drives to his town of Old Orchard. And he told me that he no longer could contain the intrusive thoughts he had to kill somebody. We talked about how he thought about killing his roommates. He doesn't mention that again. He said that he decided he had no other choice than to kill stepdad. And I quote, he says, he is leaving my mom, my brother, and me. And so he's leaving me. And I didn't want to let him do that. So if I can just add really quick, I find it really fascinating that um, he only considers people he knows. It's it's like compulsive urges. Why why, Why not a stranger? Yeah. Maybe because they're so strong, it's like it's people he's been in the same space with. Maybe, maybe he didn't you know? have those feelings about strangers. Did he ever he say that? He said everybody's ever known, but I don't know if it's also people he's just walking down the street Yeah, with. like does he go mm. into the store and look around, or is it just only like people that he has a relationship with? Yeah, is it kill hmm. at first sight, or is, does he have to have a connection first? Right, yeah. <laughs> it's a good question, because wouldn't yeah. you rather kill— I mean, come on. A stranger that you can detach from. Yeah. Yeah. Or do you have to have spent enough time with him to bug him and then he wants to kill you? That's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Should have asked. Dang it. (laughs) Um, It's a good question, though, because he just described everyone he's interacted with. He's in his everyone I've ever known. But that's a good that's a really good point. So he says he woke up that morning with this uncontrollable urge to kill his stepdad because he doesn't want to allow him to leave his mom and his brother and himself. But I know he's lying because I know he had ordered a taser months earlier. So he'd been planning something. Plus, there's all these internet searches that they found about killing people with a knife, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I ask him, and he's like, no, I, I just thought of it that day. And I'm like, but you bought a taser. He's like, well, I'm like, did you think about it when you bought the taser? I get a little, like, feisty with him. Yeah. And he's kind of like, well, no. But but I think what he was trying to say is he's thought about killing all the time, but it was that day that he's like, today's the day. And zeroed in on stepdad. And zeroed in on stepdad. Or do you think he— I think that was probably the one because he was most angry at his stepdad at that mm-hmm. point because his stepdad was going to leave his mom. But I think it, it was coming to the point because, you know, he'd mentioned wanting to kill all the people in his house, too. Like, I think he was going to kill somebody, somebody. And that was the—and as evidenced by the fact that he just killed the first person, you know, his brother. Mm-hmm. But he's he's talking about his stepdad. He zeroed in on his stepdad that day because that's the one who's, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was—that was my question, too, is, like, if he bought the taser and— um and was looking up stabbing people. Was it like just because the next time in ur- he decided he was going to act on an urge or was it that urge? I had the you impression know? that he was always fighting the urges and he had decided this day he's going to use his knife, he's going to use his taser and it's going to be a stepdad. But I don't think it was the stepdad driving the premeditation, the purchasing of the weapons. Right. I okay. think he was just building up to kill somebody. That makes sense. I mean, uh, none of it really makes sense. I mean, sense, it doesn't but, make sense, but yeah, I'm but making I, sense of it. Yeah. Yes. Because like, why that day? Why not? If, if, it's, if it's about your stepdad, mm-hmm. plan a day when you get him alone. 
Mm-hmm. Asking yeah, out. he wasn't even home. Mm-hmm. He wasn't even home. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, it, there is premeditation involved, but I don't think it was premeditation for his stepdad specifically, maybe yeah. including his stepdad. Yeah, and there wasn't, yeah, premeditation on his stepdad would have probably included, I definitely don't want to hurt my brother, mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Like, yeah, like you said, let me find him when yeah, he's alone. let's go hunting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I ask him what it felt like to kill his own brother and mother, and he tells me he didn't want, like, it was almost like a mercy killing at that point. He didn't want his mom to see his brother, but then he said he was empty and getting a satisfying answer from Matthew was difficult because, um, you know, sometimes I talk to killers and they talk about an exhilaration they feel for the first time, a thrill. Mm-hmm. We have thrill-seeker killers. Like, mm-hmm. that that's how they get their thrills. They have low autonomic arousal and they want to get—they feel better when they are, you know, doing something exciting. And for, for some, it's killing. That's not what he said. He's like, eh, I felt empty. I felt numb. Perfect timing, girls and boys. Okay. So then his stepdad comes in and Matthew stabs him as he started to describe. And um, it's okay. Trudes. There's dogs. I feel like we can just, (laughs) in case any of this is usable, there are dogs here. There's dogs Um, here. We record at the Pasadena Humane Society. We do. And um, because all proceeds go to, I'm just kidding. (laughs) They should. And I'm getting a little bit, um, I do this. I tend to get a little kind of, dismissive just because it's so freaking dark mm-hmm. so i get a kind of like okay here we go again stab the dog mm-hmm. because it's it's hard to always be reading and learning about yeah this stuff so if i seem dismissive i don't mean to be it's just 15 years of doing this 20 years two decades yeah. of doing this i'm just like if i have to hear about one more poor dead person mm-hmm. i'm gonna get really upset and it's also frustration out of like you know, you spend so much time trying to understand why mm-hmm. people do what they do. And there's there's a frustration in that because it's just so hard to understand some of these things. Absolutely. You know? And it feels like time is of the essence. Like if I'm re- like, I feel like the ivory tower has so much information about how to prevent crime and no one talks about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if I can just tell somebody like, uh, you know, give your kid two extra servings of fish a week. Just do it. Don't ask me why. Just do it. I mean, why isn't this part of our protocol to understand crime reduction? Because I think it's just people are just realizing that minds are a, an organ. Yeah, that your brain's require, actually yeah. a, an organ. Yeah. Yes. yeah. That a, a, attention and, yeah. and care. Yeah, everyone thinks it's mind over matter, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're a bad person, it's because of bad choices you make. But your brain is an organ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can have issues. And it can have tumors and lesions and abnormalities. Mm-hmm. We talked about he grabs a stun. He attacks his dad, stuns him, stabs him. He dies. I ask him what's going through his head. He says he's numb. And then he stabs the family dog. So, of course, my face, you know, I recoil. And he says, you know what? Everyone gets so upset about the dog. And that confuses me because I just killed everybody I love. They're all dead because of me. And y'all are upset about the dog. And I'm like, yeah, because everyone wants to know what the hell's wrong with you. Like, mm-hmm. you you kill, you wanted to kill your dad, but you killed your brother by accident. You killed your mom because you said you had to kill your mom so you didn't see your dad. Your brother, and then your dad comes in. Of course, you got to kill him. But the dog, he's no witness. Yeah, he can't do anything. Right. He's not going to jump you. Right. I mean, he's not going to call the cops. <laughs> I would much rather this guy only killed his dog and not his family. Of mm-hmm. course, you know, not a monster. It just makes it that much more evident that there's something so incredibly wrong with this person, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like, not that killing your family isn't a thousand times worse, but. 
there's just, it's just a, a glimpse into, these are just urges. There's no mm-hmm. rhyme or reason for yeah, this. Yeah, a lot more senseless. Like, it's senseless. No, yeah. Payback or... Or self-protection. Yeah. Or like, yeah, or motive. Like, mm-hmm. I motive. insurance. Mm-hmm. It's not revenge. Mm-hmm. It's not insurance. It's not jealousy. You know, all those, though those, you know, very basic motivators for murder. It's not that. It's an urge. And he didn't get a good feeling from it, it seems like. No, he didn't, he didn't even like doing it. Yeah. He didn't enjoy this at all. It wasn't right. like, finally, I've done it. He didn't feel that. He didn't feel like, okay, great. I have, I had the obsession. I completed the compulsion and I feel better. Like he didn't feel that. So after he slaughters the whole family, I mentioned that he did that for, he says so that nobody would see his family that way. I say, mm, or was it to cover up evidence? And then he's like, mm, actually it wasn't. I mean, there's no way I was getting Is away with Is it covered this. like... He's got um, just kind of defensive wounds all over his hands mm-hmm. from having to, you know, it's hard to kill no people. No blood on him? Or he had to He did, blood. but he changed. Yeah. Oh, he changed. But his, he didn't throw away his backpack with all the evidence in it, so I think he knew he was going down. Because mm-hmm. his bloody backpack was in his apartment. Did he care? Or he? I think he was just like, this is the end of the road anyway. Yeah. Matthew is so open and honest about these urges, and I respect it. And it does help those of us who want to study this and try to understand it so that hopefully we can, you know— move the research farther along. But it is unnerving to listen to this man casually describe murdering his family. He doesn't seem like a monster, but he's not teary-eyed, which is good because a lot of them will fake their tears, but there's he's not emoting anything. Mm-hmm. He doesn't fabricate the crazy stories, like those motivations that we talked about. Sorry, I'm, the glasses on, the glasses off, the glasses You're on. <laughs> um, he doesn't fabricate crazy stories about motivations, jealousy, insurance, self, it's usually self-defense. It's usually, that's what I hear, you know, all the time. And I did hear a couple of lies, you know. He did buy the the taser before he went, but actually I don't think he was lying about that day. He just couldn't help himself. I don't think it was because he was mad about his stepdad leaving. I think that was just the available excuse. The taser is really interesting to me because it feels like, I could be wrong, but it feels like intent to kill more than one person, like mm. to immobilize one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, you just don't hear a lot of people going to kill one person and bringing a taser. A taser. Well, it so also much, makes it know. seem like maybe he wants to be close to the—like, you can kill someone from far away with a gun. Yeah. But maybe, like, if you incapacitate him, he gets to enjoy the murder more? Yeah. Yeah, something. Or yeah, like, something's weird. Or maybe that was the the gateway to killing is the the purchasing mm-hmm. of something that is the fantasy of killing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like like a late not night shopping yeah. sort of version of yeah. murder. QVC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. Like there's something it's it's an interesting weapon to buy and there's something to that. Or it means you knew you were going to kill someone bigger than you. Which would be like the stepdad, the st- yeah. which would go against. Well, I don't know if the stepdad was bigger than him, but I'm just thinking like adult male, adult male. Yeah, well, that's, that's a good point. That's who you said he used it on. He didn't say he used it on his brother or. His that's mom. right. So maybe yeah. it was to kill his stepdad that he bought that. For. In which case, he did know that it would be his stepdad. Yeah, he definitely knew he was going to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, like I pointed out to him, I'm like, you didn't just think of it that morning because you bought the taser. But he kind of looked at me confused, like. Yeah, but that morning I decided to do it. Mm-hmm. So I, it's kind of hard to it, yeah. kind of reconcile those two things. Like, was it premeditated? I think he premeditated, maybe, but maybe, and maybe it was his stepdad, which is why he had the taser. Maybe, but then it's like, today is the day. Maybe he doesn't think of that purchase as premeditation because it's just packed. It's just like 
20 years of having thoughts mm-hmm. and it's just part of, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just part of thoughts and making a purchase and it's yeah. not like part of a master plan. Yeah. It's not some sort of, like you said, like just a yeah. shopping, just a shopping yeah. urge. <laughs> yeah. Like that'll be helpful when I finally do this. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. something you could like use as an argument in, in a court of law to say like there was premeditation to kill, but not to kill that person? You could, you could say that, but I don't think it would help your case at all. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> like you're still a danger. You're putting society. yourself you're still in a position to be armed yeah. for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so like a sense. lot of times I'll get the killers and they'll say things like that to me. Like, well, this isn't premeditation, and this is why, because they don't want it to be first-degree murder. Um, but in this case, it doesn't matter. He's never getting out of prison. Nothing's going to change his sentence unless, unless you know, it turns out that, well, we're going to get to. I'm dying what to know be. what happened. Maybe you're getting to this. When he went back to his roommate situation after killing everyone, because out of 10 people, somebody has to be there awake. Right. And- we don't know. He didn't say anything about it. He just said he came back, and then the police came a couple hours later. But somebody must—I mean, we talked to them for the show. We did talk to people, and nobody said anything. Nobody knew anything, you know. So he must have either changed his clothes, because it's at his house. Maybe when he was at his own house, he changed his clothes. That's so crazy. I wonder what kind of trauma they live with with that, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, he strikes me from watching him in your interview as the type of person, if you were living with him, who would just like shuffle past you and walk up the stairs and just like, you'd kind of be like, oh, hey, kind of, you know what I mean? Like, oh, really? He, a little bit, yeah. Like he doesn't have, he doesn't, he doesn't seem like the type of person who would like come in and strike up a conversation, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. His affect yeah. is blunted. Yeah. He seems a little numb. But nobody was ever like... No. Who seems dangerous or got any like vibe like that. Not that we found. Mm-hmm. I think they think that now. And you can't talk to mom or no. dad about like, did they no. see signs along the way? Well, dad, I guess you could. The- we could talk to the bio Oh, dad. the bio dad, yeah. yeah. But again, he spent very little time with him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would love to be like, come on, guys, I know about this one time. But what else did he do? Was he really normal? But his, his grandfather is alive too and said he was like, still sees him, still like cares about him. That this kid killed his child, but this grandpa still, as far as I remember, still visits him. Mm. Like, thought he was a great kid. I don't know. There's a lot of questions. Not very many answers in this episode, but a lot of questions. Being a mom is hard, and sometimes I'm so focused on keeping my kids from becoming serial killers that I don't have time to make dinner. Well, luckily, every plate has my back. I've come home many times with no plan for dinner, and because of every plate, I've been able to fake it and serve my kids sausage and roasted pepper risotto as if I'd been planning it all day. My kids loved the chicken piccata that I made and pretended was my recipe, too. Every plate is America's best value meal kit. While most meal kits come with a premium price tag, every plate offers delicious dinners that won't break the bank. With every plate, you can choose from 17 delicious weekly recipes and then, well, sit back. They'll deliver pre-portioned ingredients and easy-to-follow recipe cards right to your front door. So even if I have forgotten about dinner, which I normally do, every plate didn't. Every plate's quality ingredients come carefully packaged and pre-portioned which helps you save money, reduce waste, and saves a ton of time. 
you know, like that bag of mixed greens you throw out almost every week, you know, it's really, really important to eat those greens, but you got to eat them. As a result, and I can say this because I've done it, every plate is 25% cheaper than going to the grocery store, and it makes it the easiest way to eat affordably. For those looking for a quick and satisfying fix, every plate now offers a selection of recipes that come together in just 20 to 25 minutes, as well as easy cleanup options. Give yourself and your wallet a break. Enjoy delicious, affordable meals delivered to your door and ready to go in just six simple steps. Get started with Every Plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code HOWNOT179. That's $1.79 per meal by entering HOWNOT179 at everyplate.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So what the F is going on with this guy? I thought, you know, bubbling over limbic system, there could be orbital frontal lesions um, that could be happening. And then I thought more recently, I'm like, wait a minute. There's this common misconception that psychopathic killers or some type of killers fantasize about killing all the time. Like they just wake up every day and they're like, I want to kill again. I want to kill again. And to some degree, they might. They do. But those are like once you get your first, you fantasize about your first kill and then you fantasize about your second kill. But I have never come across somebody who has, since the day they were born, had urges to kill absolutely everybody they've ever known with no other symptoms, Mm -hmm. with no other signs of anything. And that's what's so, like, if it's a psychopathic killer who's thinking of of killing people, it's like, yeah, you you could tell they were a psychopathic child because they, they behaved unethically. Maybe they were tormenting other kids. Maybe they were killing pets. Maybe they were stealing and coming up with, you know, whatever it was. This guy has nothing but these intrusive thoughts of killing. So I'm like, okay, this looks nothing like, you know, a typical killer. What if there is some sort of lesion in his brain as some sort of slow growing tumor that's been there forever or some damage that's been there forever? And it brought to mind the story this guy we call Mr. Oft. Oft stands for orbital frontal tumor. So this guy was very normal, educated. I think he was a corrections officer. Then he went and got his master's. He was becoming a school teacher. Very American typical guy. Married, great relationship with his 12-year-old stepdaughter. By all accounts, everyone liked this guy. And everything was normal. Around his 40th birthday, everything began to change. He started going to massage parlors and getting happy ending massages. Look that up if you don't know what that is. <laughs> um, he also started collecting pornography, and, and as he's collecting it at both home and work, it starts leaning toward child pornography. 
And then finally, after a bit of time, he starts making advances um, toward his 12-year-old stepdaughter. Ooh. Ew. And eventually she told her mom, thank God, tell your parents, people. Um, the daughter was so confused because she loved her stepdad and he had always been great to her. Like he would tuck her in, read her bedtime stories, and then it became bedtime advances. So the mother, of course, reports to the police. He's removed from the home. He's charged with sexual assault. He's diagnosed as a pedophile, and he's given a choice. You can go to prison, or you can try this 12-month rehab kind of sexaholic program. And of course, he chooses that over prison. He chooses rehabilitation. But he could not stop hitting on the female employees and the other people who were being treated there. Of the place. Yeah, oh. and he's like, carnal medical attention. He would say all these, like, just obnoxious. It's so not like him. Yeah. Everyone's like, what the hell happened to this guy? But this is where things get good. The night before he's supposed to go off to prison because he blew his chance at the rehab, he goes to the hospital complaining, I think it was at the University of Virginia, complaining of headaches. And they blow him off. They're like, oh, the pedophile has headaches. And they're like, and then he keeps asking the nurses for sex. So they're like, okay, can someone just, like make him leave but then he says if you let me out of here i'm going to rape my landlady so they have to keep him overnight and like figure out with the prison to do the transfer well while he's being kept there he pees on himself and doesn't react to it at all and so someone's like wait that's weird and then a like a young neuro a neurologist or neurosurgeon saw him had heard about the these you know the complaints and was like even his walk is a little weird like something's happening finally they throw him in a scanner and lo and behold, Mr. Oft had a massive tumor growing at the base of his orbital frontal cortex, which is putting pressure on the prefrontal region of his brain. These are, this part of the brain is super important with regulation of social behavior. It's associated with poor impulse control, altered sexual behavior, and sociopathy or psychopathy. So it's a really important part of your brain. And there it was, this huge tumor. So they removed the tumor. Guess what happens? He's back to normal. He's back to freaking normal. He's normal now. He feels horrible remorse. He's like dying inside because of what he thought to do and what he did do. Does he remember it all? Yeah, he remembers it. And then he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, totally send me to that rehab. He completes his year-long sexaholic treatment rehab program. And then he's reunited with his wife and his stepdaughter. And everything seems like it's going to remain fine until seven months later when the headaches come back. And naturally, the pornography starts coming back and all the impulses start mm -hmm. coming back. So he goes to the neurologist and the tumor is back. The tumor is resected a second time and from then on out, normal. He's been normal ever since. Wow. No wow, right? So part of me is like, could this be what's going on with Matthew Cushing? Could he have an abnormality in some... in? maybe in the limbic system, maybe some part of the brain where he is generating way too many urges. What else could have predicted this atrocious behavior? I don't know, but I really do suspect some specific biological anomaly behind this. Um, you know, he doesn't have any of the supporting behaviors like I talked about before. You would expect conduct disorder, rule-breaking, unemotional, unempathetic child. He's not that. He doesn't have schizophrenic voices commanding in his head to hurt people because it almost feels like he's schizophrenic, like I have these ur – but it's urges. It's not voices. Mm -hmm. It's urges. Um, he just has a very specific problem of, you know, wanting to kill absolutely everybody he knows. So when I first met Matthew and I had nothing to expect, um, I suggested to him even that there could be a lesion in his brain. Um, but 
I know he has more urges than a normal person, so it could be overactive limbic. But, and this is an important takeaway, which I will describe in a moment, but I want to say this. When we present our children to a professional because of a conduct problem, like, you know, hitting your dad in the face for no reason, very rarely is a biological explanation the first place that a therapist or a yeah. pediatrician start. Right. Like, very rarely, are the, if it's behavioral, they look at behavioral changes. They'll be like, okay, let's do rules and consequence charts. Let's therapy, maybe medication. It's not very often someone's like, let's scan their brain. Mm-hmm. It's super expensive, and it's just not what they think to do. So if a physical, another physical symptom arises, like a t- speech issue or in children, it might be a tick or a tremor, you know, soaring after a, 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 an infection, he started getting a tick and like this. And I was like, that's it. You know, and so I sent him to a pediatric neuro- neurologist mm-hmm. and he was fine. It's just something that they can get from a um, viral infection. But unless you're getting some sort of physical um, the headaches or something, yeah. they're not going to throw your kid in a scanning machine. Um, but it is a possibility for him. And and I suggested that to him, and I don't know if anyone's going to scan him, but I think they should. But another possibility that occurred to me much more recently, and I kind of want to reach out to Matthew and discuss it with him. When I consulted other professionals about Matthew, because I'm like, I'm stumped. I'm thinking there's a lesion somewhere. You know, they're like, yeah, that might be it, because there's nothing else in the literature to support this type of killing. But then I thought, wait a minute. What if Matthew has some unusual form of OCD? That obsessive compulsive disorder mm-hmm. that presents strictly Ooh. as homicidal intrusive thoughts. Now, those intrusive thoughts are absolutely something someone can expect from mm-hmm. OCD, but usually other symptoms present too, like fear of germs or religious right. obsessions, a f- a feeling like you're going to die, you're going to get sick and die. Bad thoughts might be that mm-hmm. might become a reality. Um, they do have aggressive thoughts about hurting other people or themselves thinking they're lucky or unlucky, need to have everything in order, Mm -hmm. or unwanted sexual or violent thoughts. But what if Matthew only has one element of OCD and is never treated because he keeps it to himself and doesn't have the corresponding Mm -hmm. compulsion Mm -hmm. to go with it? So we were talking about, like, the impulse is one thing, but the compulsion is the, the behavior that you do to feel better about the impulse. For example... It's the compulsions that draw our attention to someone with OCD. It's not their thoughts. It's the actions that the sufferer engages in, like washing their hands or touching light switches three times or, you know, or they'll talk us through like these obsessive thoughts in their heads. But as it turns out, um, you know, it's if this is for Matthew a possibility, the compulsion would be to commit the crime, would be mm-hmm. to do the killing. And, mm, and he knows he, he knows not to. He knows not to. <laughs> what if that's it? Yeah. So as it turns out, obsessive compulsive disorder um, sufferers also show differences in various areas of their brains, and it's the same areas. So what you would imagine, since you know these violent impulses are what we're seeing, they have reduced amount of gray matter in the medial frontal gyrus, the medial orbital frontal cortex. That's the area I was describing earlier. That um, you know your emergency brakes, and a bunch of other areas um, that we won't get into because it will bore you. Interestingly, OCD can arise idiopathically, meaning we don't know where it came from, which is the word idiot comes from, or it can actually occur after a brain injury, which is how they know that it could be something just like a malfunctioning in the brain rather than just personality or temperament. Like you want to be like, oh my God, stop obsessing, mind over matter, but there Mm -hmm. are actually brain differences that are behind it. OCD is based in the brain. It's not a personality difference. 
So it's interesting, in one study of people who had developed OCD that just came on out of nowhere, there were, um, there were lesions in the frontal limbic subcortical circuits. And so we know that plays a huge part, and that's what generates these, these urges. So what could have been done for Matthew had a parent, a teacher, a doctor known about these urges? As we discussed, it would have taken other symptoms to throw them into an MRI machine, and that is such a shame because there are times when literally there's a fixable brain problem, but it only appears in a scan. But let's say somebody thought maybe this is OCD and they treated it. There are ways to treat OCD. Professionals use therapy, medications such as selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which are antidepressants, but they also use these various um, brain-stimulating techniques. This one called TMS, where they stimulate various areas of the brain. And this is particularly exciting because brain there is now a brain stimulation designed specifically for people with violent impulses like Matthew. What if somebody had known? He could have gone through this treatment. It's, it's still in its nascency, but there were those other treatments already available. So there already are treatments for these obsessive, impulsive, intrusive thoughts if that's what it is. There are treatments for it, but now there's one that's being studied just for individuals with violent impulses. And they put, like, they have 20 minutes of soft, or 20 minutes flow of electrons into both sides of the brain. And according to researchers at the University of Pennsylvania, it can cut violent impulses in half. Wow. Yeah. It was, it's called transcranial direct current stimulation. It was originally developed for people suffering from brain injuries, such as a stroke or psychiatric conditions, such as depression. But it's working. It's reducing violent impulses. Roy Hamilton, a neurologist who directs Penn's Laboratory for Cognition and Neural Stimulation, where the new study was done, he said the results may be the first step in helping people with pathological levels of aggression. But they're still a long way from making that, you know, an everyday treatment. But even if he had gotten the OCD treatment, maybe it would have helped. Yeah. I'm curious. Is it, He seems so willing, right, to explore what is going on with him. Is there some—it seems like there should be some sort of, like, medical connect to, um, like, prisons and people who do have some issues like this that they don't understand, but they committed a crime that they don't understand why they did it, you know, to have somebody be able to do an MRI of their brain or, like, to study them. Like, it's, it's kind of wild to me that if somebody had the willingness to do that, that they wouldn't— you know yeah. what I mean? No, I, I'm with you, sister. Yeah. If they if they participate in a study, like Kent Keel, this very well-known, very incredible um, researcher of violence, he brings a mobile MRI to prisons and he sticks all the prisoners in the MRI. Short of that, wow. like if I call Matthew and I'm like, and I told him in the interview, I'm like, I'm not, this part's not in the episode because they couldn't put it in there. I'm like, ask for an MRI, mm. ask for an MRI. But those are expensive. And yeah. I can't tell him, go lie about other symptoms because that's unethical. Mm. But if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, there's a disconnect. I mean, there are people trying to make this a thing, make it a reality. And like we've said in other podcasts, if we can prevent the crime, then right. you can take the money from the prisons and put it into prevention. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. So question. do you lean more towards one of those theories versus the other? They're all brain-related. It's all brain-related. Um, I think something—I think we'd see, no matter what, a deficit in his brain. We'd see an mm -hmm. abnormality, a lesion, maybe a tumor. The tumor would have to be incredibly slow-growing, so I don't think it's a tumor. But I think that we would see something brain-based, whether mm -hmm. it manifests as OCD, 
specifically. It could be that treatment for either would work. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, if there were a tumor and it was in a place where you could resect it, that would be great. Mm-hmm. But I think for this particular person, an MRI is key. It's essential, you know. And with these OCDs, there's all these studies where they do PET scans, and that's where you, they measure the function of your brain. They have you drink this radioactive material, and then they stick you in a scanner, and it lights up, and it mm-hmm. shows you. And OCD brains are very different from a typical brain. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not... I think it's a brain-based problem. I do not think he's a psychopath. I think he actually has a very unusual form of some sort of something going on in his limbic system, some which could be OCD or it could be just a lesion in that area. That's my, it's my story and I'm sticking to it um, until somebody tells me something else. So when you said like the dad went home because the mom stopped answering the phone, I mean, was he worried about her being in contact with Matthew? You know, it is a suspicious thing because we can't ask them, but that has been a thought that why is Matthew there? Was that concerning enough? Like maybe something's wrong with Matthew? So they all came home or were they worried about Matthew doing something? Mm -hmm. And that's unclear. It's unclear. All we know is that she thought it was unusual to see his car and she mentioned, I see his car, but I don't see him. So she went home. So I don't know if he was worried about her or worried about Matthew. Hmm. It's a great point, though, because maybe there was more that that he was showing. Maybe the family saw things that they didn't share. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because listen, there's a lot of stigma. Or feelings they got around him. Or maybe I don't really, um, we know Josh is home. We don't really want Matthew with Josh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That's true. What what if something happened between the brothers that made them feel, like mm-hmm. you said, unsafe mm-hmm. having him around him? The only person we can ask is Matthew, and he said there was nothing. So, but again, the words of a murderer. And he says nothing happened in his childhood? The most there. he can come up with is that his stepdad was a disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he, he was militant. But that's, if that were a cause of murder, then we'd have... Lots of murderers on our hands. Didn't you say in the show, too, that people, other people, outside people, did not have the same description of his mm-hmm. stepfather that he did? Like, they yeah. wouldn't describe him they that way? they said he was super sweet and calm. And, you know, of course, no one knows what really goes on in the house. But, mm-hmm. yeah, everyone's like, nah, that was he was not a disciplinarian. He was not strict. He was, like, the nicest guy. Hmm. So this one's hard with silver linings and takeaways because— I do feel confident that there is a very brain-based problem here. And when I say brain-based, obviously, we all use our brains to make these decisions to kill or not to kill. But I mean, like, an actual medical condition going on with this person. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm leaning more toward the kind of this very specific OCD. But it doesn't matter because it's all the same brain areas involved. And I think you might be able to see something. Um, Or just treat it as OCD. Let's just treat it like that. Let's just give them the brain stimulation and see. If you don't want to pay for the MRI, you know, let's— Let's do some of these brain stimulation techniques that they use. I just read this article recently, it was like a few weeks ago maybe, about um, a woman who struggled with anorexia for years and none of the treatments helped. And um, it turned out she had OCD and hers and it, it, her treatment oh. was successful when they when they treated it like OCD. She was just um, food was her thing. Oh, that was her obsession. Yeah. 
if oh, that makes sense. She, I mean, the whole article was like they were they were treating it the wrong way. I didn't, I didn't have issues with food. I just had. It was OCD. Yeah. So, so her her fixation happened to be food. Yeah. But it wasn't a food disorder. It yeah. wasn't that. Just happened to be what she fixated on. Yeah. Rather than like fearing death or feeling fearing illness or fearing you know, that the end of the world is coming. We get that a lot, like people fearing earthquakes. And yeah. that's where their OCD is focused. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Something like that. It was like once they changed the the protocol for how they handled it, she... Um, All right, people in Maine, prisoners, like our prison guards, <laughs> like can we just, can we send Matthew to a neurologist? But I, just, I hear these stories a lot too of kids who have behavior problems um, and... Like you said, uh, it's never it's never like let's do a scan of the brain just right first to make sure that's not the issue, and then we'll look at medications and and things like that. And it's like lots of kids have lots of kids issues, and um, maybe some of them could be resolved medically. That's exactly right. That's what I keep coming back to, and that was kind of like the only thing for the takeaways and silver linings. That I mean, think of Mister Oft. He would have spent the rest of his life in prison if not but for an MRI. Mm-hmm. He would have been in jail or in prison for the rest of his life. And if Matthew's parents were still here, maybe they could have – maybe they would have recalled more aggressive reactions and biological possibilities would have been explored through physical – like comprehensive psychological and physical exams. Like it's just professionals and parents and everyone and teachers like need to consider biological possibilities as driving the behavior. Like you said, like – Instead of going straight to deviance, like exactly, yeah, like my like you're choosing this, you're just a bad person, mm-hmm. you know. Let's put you on a chore chart, but just consider a biological basis of it, you know. And it's going to be hard to advocate for your child in that way and get them an MRI, but even if you have to pay for it, mm-hmm. you know, find a way. Is this might be a stupid question, but is um, schizophrenia <laughs> is schizophrenia something that you would be able to detect with an MRI or no? There are d- brain differences in schizophrenia, mm-hmm. and they definitely do uh, a lot of imaging when it comes. And that is definitely brain. Like, that's a biological phenomenon. Right. Yeah. Because I feel like we, we were talking about James Holmes on a different episode and how, you know, he was prescribed antidepressants that actually made his schizophrenia. Yeah, could have made it worse. Could have yeah. made oh, it wow. worse. Um, that that it's not a good mix. So it's like, it does seem like choosing to try medication that probably for most people would be like, sure, go ahead and try it. Maybe you'll have a few side effects, not a big deal. But if you didn't diagnose the problem correctly, you could be giving somebody something that actually makes them want to go kill people, like it pushes it to that, you know? Yeah, you can make an error. Like you can actually exacerbate the problem by like treating it for a a misdiagnosed illness. Right. So maybe like, and I guess you're saying because they're so expensive is probably why they don't want anybody to ever do them. And I'm sure insurance issues and all these things. Well, and it's also, these are studies. So it's not like this way this one researcher described it. He's like, look, these are population studies. So it's like, yes, in general, on average, people with OCD's brains look like this and a normal person look like that. But it's similar to saying, yes, on average, men are taller than women. But if you say somebody's 6'3", I can't tell you for sure that's a man. There are some women. So it's they're not great diagnostically always, but there are times where you stick somebody in a machine and it goes glowing or it is shows you a giant tumor in Mr. Off's case. Like, it's worth it. Of course, the smaller differences, the slight variation, the standard de- the standard deviations 
are not going to be necessarily measurable or, or mean a lot on one one person. But if you see something egregious like this or some big giant, you know, deficiency or defective part of the brain, yeah, I mean, you're a pretty good idea. Now I'm thinking about all the little kids I know, and I'm like, oh. is, is anyone, you know, right, stuffing down thoughts of violence? Well, I have you know? never come across a person like this. Mm-hmm. Usually you see other things. Like, so mm-hmm. rest assured that this guy's— I just feel so badly for the little boy that yeah. lived like that. Yeah, who lived like that. Well, it's a waste of a life, right? You know, yeah. and it's, you know, but I mean, I guess— dead. He feels empty. He doesn't feel anything about it. So, right. But like you said, it's still a waste of a life. Like he can't feel anything. Like yeah. it's a, you know. I mean, again, I know. Again, this is going to make people like don't sympathize with the person who killed his whole family. Right. It's, but at the same time, I think that that is the perspective of this show is that we are trying to look at these things as as not deviants, like you said all the time. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a maybe it's a defect. We're like looking into what it could be. Right. And yeah. what's the harm? What's right. the harm yeah. of us like trying to figure out what happened, even if it comes from as an empathetic place? If mm-hmm. we can maybe prevent some more. In right. The Nobody's arguing for more people to be killed. Right. No. So it's like that's the thing that yeah. everyone wants to prevent that. It's just a right. different way of going about it. Although what are true crime addicts going to look at if we prevent crime? <laughs> <laughs> um, good for them that there's no, the crime is existing. We really like time. to detach from the person behind the mm-hmm. crime, you know, because yeah. then you can be like, oh my God, what a monster. You know what? what so yeah, many crimes true. have happened already and there's so many to talk about on podcasts. We don't need more. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. No, you're right. We don't need more. <laughs> we don't Plus, need more. I mean, it was crazy because when I would do episodes when I would like provide an explanation, especially a biological one, the viewers would get mad. They're like, no, he knew it was right from wrong. We're so punitive. We want everyone to know right from wrong, and we want to be able to be like, you knew it. Off with your head. But I mean, if the kid is five and six, and he's like, yeah, I can't help it, and I have a normal life, Mm -hmm. but just can't help this, then. Yeah. I mean, we have to be a little sympathetic. Yeah. 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 And also, like, what if he could have been fixed? Mm-hmm. Like, what if some brain stimulation technique that they use for OCD regularly could have fixed him? Well, and like you said, there's no there's no real safe space for him to share what he's feeling when he's a kid. Um, or even if he told his parents, there's no real safe space for them to share. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of similar to when people have urges for sexual urges mm-hmm. towards children or whatever, and say they're 15 and they're thinking about a seven-year-old mm-hmm. and they have nowhere to go. Right. To There's no treatment. There's nobody, you yeah. know, you're you deviant. You can't take you're that deviant. somewhere. If you tell you're somebody, you're labeled. going somewhere, right? Yeah. yeah, you're just bad. You're just deviant. They're never so thinking. you just probably are prone to stuff, stuffing it down and feeling hopeless that there's no, mm-hmm. yeah. No, it's true. If, it's if not like kid, you're going to you know. be like, oh, they're going to be like, okay, let's try these techniques. Let's make sure first you don't have an orbital, orbital frontal tumor. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. You don't. Then let's try this next thing. Mm-hmm. They don't start with that. And again, even if you don't scan this guy, it can't hurt him to have some brain stimulation. Like the, we can't, it's not going to kill Matthew to, even if you don't want to stick him in a scan, you don't feel confident you'll see anything, just try something. Like mm-hmm. there are treatments, you know, and, and I mean, a lot of pedophiles, I bet, do have this do have abnormalities, maybe lesions in their brains. Mm-hmm. I mean, pedophilia is a very weird thing. That's a different beast, yeah, as you said. Totally. you have any more questions? I don't think so. I feel like I I'm leaving you frustrated you, going home. I can't home. believe you talk to murderers. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> but this is like a good friend. Like we travel together. We do a walks. So we've been walking together for twenty years. Like we drink wine, lots of wine together. I yeah. mean, you could have just you could have talked to a murderer and they just got away with it. You know, yeah. they're not in prison oh, for That's sure. True. <laughs> that is true. I may know one. I may be friends with one. Yeah, I don't know for sure. I did a study on on um, uh, murderers who'd never been caught. We did MRIs on them. At the in the basement of the USC hospital. Talk about scary. I mean, there were other people in the room, but like, that's gnarly. Murderers who had never been caught. How did that work? The ethics of that? Ex- excellent question. Adrian Rain, remember the Bible? Uh, my my uh-huh. my book, I, I love this book that he wrote. He was, um, he was the first person I ever did research with. He was at USC, kind of brought me into the school. He wasn't my advisor, but he brought me in. He was granted immunity from the federal government. So anything that people told him, he didn't have to report. And they felt confident about it. And do you know where you find murderers? Temp agencies. So <gasps> no just way. Way. Yes. They don't have to do background check, or well, I guess they're not caught yet. They're not so. caught. Why, why do they work at temp agencies? Same thing I asked. Because they're transient. Mm-hmm. They're usually moving around. Oh, wow. They can't. I mean, they're not the type of hold down a steady job usually. So he was able <laughs> to so capture weird. a ton and we did MRIs on them. And we measured um, the uh, amygdala, the hippocampus, and the frontal lobe. So you just put so out a memo system at the temp agency. Hey, we're like, hey, we're just like we'd hire him for the day, Have and then you we're like, someone, here's my number. <laughs> totally. <laughs> no, we just brought them in, and ten percent admitted to a violent crime. And it wasn't always murder. Sometimes it was rape. But ten percent, something crazy like that. Wow, I know. I see. I have to think that if I was the person who had committed a crime and killed someone, that I would not be like, "Hey, here I am at a study where I'm gonna." You know what I mean? Well, they didn't know. They just hired up for a day's worth of work. Oh. They get there. Adrian's like, and he's got this like sweet British voice, and he looks totally harmless. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Okay, listen. Here's my sheet. Here's the government immunity I have." I need you to fill out this questionnaire. I need you to answer these questions super honestly, and then I'm gonna throw you in an MRI machine. Like, wow. so they felt comfortable enough with telling him. Wow. You know, that that's that yeah. shit's cuckoo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's bananas. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I talk to murders, but usually they're in prison. <laughs> My sister was on the show saying, how do I know you're not one? I'm like, what? What the? <laughs> you would know everything to do to get away with it. Yeah. I'm also a jury consultant, so I know how to pick my own jury. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I'm the biggest empath there is. Like, I carry and- mosquitoes out of my house, people. <laughs> I don't even kill them. Like, yeah, no, I would be able to get away with it. <laughs> Just saying, don't fuck with me. Yeah. There you go. Is that only good reviews? Five stars? Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> so you guys will be giving me five-star yep. reviews. <laughs> um, any other takeaways, questions, recap? Now we're all depressed. <laughs> well, I know because I was waiting for this story of like the big thing that happened to him when he was little. Yeah. And that's usually what you hear. So it's just kind of fascinating that no, I'm just. Do you know I'm, why you want that? It's why we all want that because then it's controllable. Yeah. And then it makes us feel better about. Yeah. We all want the reason you can point to, and I'm safe. My family's protected because we don't have that trauma. Mm -hmm. We all want that. And it makes it easier to understand. And if you understand something, it's not scary Mm -hmm. or it's not as scary. Yeah. I don't like it either. I think that the helpful thing to put a positive spin on everything is that look at the brain. The brain is an organ. This isn't about a good person or a bad person all the time that it could be somebody's brain and you could actually help them to not hurt people and to lead a full life and, you know, 
find a way to have a clear head and and think the thoughts they want to be thinking. Right. You know, right. I think Mr. Oft is a great example. Yeah. This guy who literally was totally normal, not his fault. Brain tumor grew, yeah. did some wacky things. Take it out. He's fine. Right. Right. I think that there's it's a lot of um, there's a lot of morality that gets in the way of I'm just going to say it um, <laughs> of of this kind of thought process. This is like the kind of science Almost like the science versus religion conversation mm-hmm. right now. Free will. You know? <gasps> what does this mean for free will? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to bring some of my religious friends on talk about that. Yeah. No, I, th- I think it's like something that people would probably battle with because there's people who just really are like evil is a thing. Mm-hmm. And these this are This is the people. commandment. Yes. This is, yeah. Yeah. You do, you, yeah. yeah. And, and, and are you, is, does free will mean that even if the devil is tempting you with a tumor in your brain, you should still be able to make the right choice. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Got to bring in a religious person and ask. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Or, yeah, exactly. Is the, is the, is the tumor the evil? Like, is that... Mm-hmm. So if something goes wrong with your brain, does that just mean that you're being targeted by evil? Well, I think that's what the Duggars do. I think Duggars look at Josh as, you know, their, their, their biggest kind of work for God. And it's like, okay, we're going to walk this path with him and pray because this is the devil trying to interfere in our family. This is the devil speaking through Josh and making him a pedophile and making him look at child porn and we're going to support him through prayer. Like, I think that they, I cannot speak for the Duggars, but I feel like maybe that's why his wife is able to stay with them because he looks at like, this is my, this is God's will for me is to help this man battle the devil. Yeah. I mean, I would have left that guy, but I would have never married him. You see him sing during the wedding. I didn't even know about this. You're blowing my This is like the TLC family? Yes. yes. And oh. I may or may not have driven by their house when I drove through Taunty Town, Arkansas once. <laughs> Taunty Town? Yeah. I'm I'm behind. You know, well, I, I think watched, they moved since then. But. I watched Sister Wives, and then I was like, I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm not. That's a little. No. This is the one who had like tons of child pornography on his computer, and then he also had been inappropriate with two of his sisters. Oh. <gasps> Yeah, and had an Ashley Madison account or whatever that was called. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah cheating on his wife. Wow. Yeah. But his wife is like, I'm standing by my man. Yeah, just had her sixth child old with him. He's going yeah, to prison he's for the rest of his life. more kids, even though he was arrested for mm-hmm. child pornography. Wow. He was even allowed to, so it looks like he's going to go to jail for a very long time, but he's allowed to, when he was out, he couldn't live at the home. He couldn't live at a home with any children, but he's allowed to see his kids and get his wife pregnant. Wow. Yeah. Special. I'm going to go with we're going to keep the kids away from Josh. And the Duggars, like, I know TLC was part of Discovery Network. I knew lots of the people who worked on the show. And they were like, they are the nicest family in the world. It is not a show. Because they come across as so sickingly sweet. But they're like, that is how they are. They are that Mm -hmm. nice. The mom and dad are that nice. And, I mean, I don't know if you could fake it that long. No. I mean, it's just, like, myopic in their views, obviously, like, thinking that, I mean, they don't. Pray it away. They don't send their kids to college. They want to make sure their values are kept. You know, don't want to. You know, have someone else influencing them. But they don't even send their kids to school. They're all homeschooled. Interesting. Yeah. Sorry, we've digressed yet again. (laughs) (laughs) This is this is podcasting. Listen, this is this is kind of obsessed. That I used to watch that, and with my roommate Laura, I would watch that and um, John and Kate plus eight. Oh yeah, yeah. that was. I watched a few episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The hair, the yeah, yep, <laughs> and the yelling at that the guy OG all the time. Karen haircut. Oh, totally. And now they're all grown <laughs> up. And I was obsessed. I really wanted to steal the little one, Leah, and the little one, Aiden. I was mm-hmm. like, "They're so cute." Come to me. But yeah, shit went down <laughs> downhill. Yeah. yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. Last I heard, Kate was working for like Coupon Cabin or something. It was, it was not. The, the queen fell from her throne. And I felt bad for her. I know she was a bitch. Everyone said she was a bitch. But it's like, listen, she was like managing a lot. Set of twins and yeah. six two-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. With like no help. That's true. I feel like she can be the next, you know, like all these years later, we get kind of a perspective on, you know, that we were unfair to somebody right. in the media. And I feel like Monica Lewinsky, that happened. Oh, where everybody's sure. like, you know, oh my God, I was, because I, I think, and Britney Spears. Yeah. These, oh, poor Brit Brit. I know. But it's like, I remember when people were making fun of her yeah. for, for that meltdown. I remember like all the Monica Lewinsky stuff and everything every adult around me was saying at the time. And it's like, you know, and yeah. in both their cases, they were children. They were children. Yeah. Although I still, Monica still bugs me. I'm sorry. She really? does. I know. She doesn't bug me at all. I know. She's I know. very, like, I don't know. I think she's very well spoken. Spoken. <laughs> she's and spoken and well spoken. She is. She is. She's yeah. beautiful. She looks really and good. she's, she's very, uh, art, you know, um, intelligent. She is very, she's I very mean, intelligent. She's a little she girl. Just, she was. When you hear the tapes on the, um, I forget what podcast that was, Slow Burn. She is a baby mm-hmm. when she's talking back then yeah. in the trials and stuff. She is so young. Mm-hmm. I know and she was in her 20s, but like man. it sounds like a baby. Yeah, it's true. And listen, Kate, I know, is I hear she's not a very nice person, but sometimes you do have to go back and be like, Monica Lewinsky was a child. Kate was dealing with like, I, I hear she's still a bitch, but a lot um you know and monica like with the whole britney thing i have felt that britney moment where i'm like oh yeah shave it off oh yeah cry by the car and also like if somebody like everyone has had a meltdown in public and if you haven't like honestly fuck you but like courtney tell me about this (laughs) everyone's had a meltdown not like that i never shaved my head i guess i wish you could see courtney's red face yeah no i've never i've never had that kind of muzzle in public where it was like i walked out with a completely changed appearance but i have had the you know like where i lost my shit on somebody yeah and then if you had the life where like you're constantly hounded by paparazzi your meltdown might be that yeah like Mm -hmm. okay i'm just gonna shave my head and go batshit crazy totally so that you can yeah, like no, absolutely. Yeah, and she was pushed to it. Like, I'm yeah. not, there, no, I'm not judging it at all. I've never, I've never been in a situation anything like that. Only because my life is not her life, you know. Yeah, but it, so it's like it's not coming from a place of judgment. But yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, we thought we were starting with murders, and we end with Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like comment. the digressions. This is fun. <laughs> it's this true, fun. and it also teaches you about judgment. Like you're saying, like it's really easy to be like throw them away, mm-hmm. but we can learn from someone like Matthew Cushing, and then it just it really brings that whole who are we to judge? Obviously, murderers we are allowed to, but these other people we're talking about, especially women, yeah. who because um, we're already we already are considered a little crazy, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. they're we already get that, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. If, the whole Will Smith slap. Somebody's like, if a girl had gone up and done that, they'd be like, that girl's crazy. Oh, it's totally unfair. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Claire. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry if I made you now worried about all the children you've ever known. I'm not. I'm not. But it is, it's, yeah, the mom in me is like, that poor kid. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm you glad know? you're saying like, that. That's all he, if that's all he's ever known, mm-hmm. that's just sad. Mm-hmm. Sad. I'm glad that you have that perspective because I think if we can inject a bit of sympathy or empathy into this, maybe there will be more of a move to to try to stop this stuff before And especially because he was like, I want you to tell me. Oh, and by the way, what did his psychologist conclude? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, you said they didn't know There's, anything, right? Yeah, nothing. 
whole lot so of nothing. So she just tried to counsel him? or I think they're just like, all right, you're just going to stay locked up. We don't know what's wrong with you. Well, then that's the other thing. It's like, you know, that's also another right. whole other topic. But prisoners are just sort of bumped down to like, you don't matter mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. And it's a shame, too, because I... Um, if nothing else, even if you don't ever want them out again, studying them is, is really important. Yeah. So that we don't, so that we can learn how not to raise a serial killer. Yeah. And on that note, I'm Michelle Ward, and this has been How Not to Raise a Serial Killer. See you next week. How Not to Raise a Serial Killer is a Cloud 10 media production, executive produced by me, Dr. Michelle Ward, and Sim Sarna. Our editor is Emily Crane, and our producer and researcher is Courtney Blomquist. Our music was created by Josh Cook, with artwork provided by Brian Stefanik. Follow us on Instagram at How Not to Raise a Serial Killer, and on TikTok and Twitter at Hentrask. That's at H-N-T-R-A-S-K. And if you'd like to share a story or ask a question, you can email us at hownottoraiseaserialkiller at gmail.com, or call and leave a voicemail at 818 818- 392-4403. If you like our show, do me a favor and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. After all, if more people know about the show, maybe fewer kids will turn into serial killers. Who knows? Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.